Hello, and welcome to another great message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Thanks for joining us today. For notes and video related to this message, please visit www.parkviewchurch.org. We are in a series where we are looking at the Beatitudes. There's eight of them, eight powerful statements that Jesus made at the very beginning of his ministry. In, in Matthew chapter 4, 17, the first message that's recorded that Jesus preached was this short message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like what Jesus is inviting us back then and now into is a whole new relationship with him where he is in charge, where he is the king, and he's inviting us to change how we have been living and now live under his reign. Uh, Thomas, one of our, our interns this summer, called it a regime change. He's inviting us into a whole new way of living. And so what you see in the Beatitudes is a, a summary of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. And we're going to read them together here in a little bit just to get refreshed with what they are. And none of these statements will you read and say, oh yeah, I, auto- I automatically do that. That's what I do all the time. Like that's not the way it goes. In fact, some of the statements will even make you say, I'm not so sure that's a blessed way to live. I'm, I'm not so sure that's how I want to live. But we're going to unpack these week by week and say, and just kind of show you, this is a new kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into. So why don't you stand with me? You've been sitting for a little bit. Why don't we stand? And we're going to read these eight uh, Beatitudes together out loud. Okay, so here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom. Great job. You can grab a seat. All right, so you'll notice at the beginning of each of those statements was the word blessed. And it, it harkens back to the very first chapter of the Bible where it says that God created us and that God's desire was to bless us. And if you look even ahead at Genesis chapter 12, one of God's desires for blessing us is that then we would be a blessing to, the, to all the nations. And so what you were created to do and to be was to be a person blessed by God who then will bless others. That's what we are created to be. We also see in the book of Genesis that humanity, that mankind rebelled against God. We turned our backs on God. We sinned against God. And so now there is a brokenness that we see in humanity. And what Jesus is offering is a chance to restore us to that place to which God created us. He created us to bless us and then for us to be a blessing to others. And so that, that explains why, why is the word blessed every time in each of those beatitudes. That's what Jesus is inviting us to step into a relationship with him where he blesses us and restores us back to who we were created to be. And so um, one thing I've noticed as we've gone and just studied those eight beatitudes is I really think the first four lay a foundation from which the next four can just kind of launch out of our lives. So when we're poor in spirit, when we mourn about our sin, when we are meek and when we hunger and thirst for true righteousness, then what we do is we put our hearts in a place that then God can just erupt out of our lives 
uh, these fruits that people can see in our lives. Uh, uh, being a peacemaker, uh, being, um, like we're going to talk about today, a person of mercy, um, being pure and righteous, and, and, and even being a courageous person, willing to take some heat, willing to be rejected for righteousness' sake. So bottom line, what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes, I think in the last four, is saying, these fruits I'm going to produce in your life so that when you read Matthew 5, 16, it says, let your good works shine before men so they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's what's going on here is that now these last four are things that if they're in your life, the people around you are going, where did you get that? Like today, we are in a world that is starving for mercy. And if you are a merciful person, people are going to be drawn to you. They're going to know it didn't come from you. They're going to say, where'd you get that? And it's going to glorify God. It's going to make Jesus look good in your life. So we're going to look at this concept, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. So let's just start with a definition. And there's an outline in your bulletin. You can follow along if you'd like to. But let's ask the question, what is mercy? We're going to say that mercy is compassion that acts for the good of those in distress You can even add a layer to that, that mercy is disadvantaging ourselves in order to help those in need, even those who are undeserving, okay? Already you can tell we're in some tall weeds. Like we don't naturally do these things, but this is what mercy is. In fact, Jesus painted a picture of what mercy looked like when he told one of his most famous stories. There was a religious guy that was trying to show Jesus up in front of everybody, and he asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbors yourself. And then this religious person kind of asked back to kind of get clarity. He said, okay, so, so who's my neighbor? Like, who do I really need to extend love to? Is it, you know, people I kind of like or people in my little inner circle? Like, who, who do you mean, who do you mean my neighbor? And so then Jesus told a story of a Jewish man who was walking on a path and on that path, he got, he got held up, he got robbed, he got beaten, he was left for dead, and the thieves took off. And so then three different people came upon this man in his horrible condition. The first two were religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, seeing their own countrymen there in great need, and instead of stopping to help, they went to the other side of the road and just walked on by. Then the hero of the story is a Samaritan, the story of the good Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews hated each other, right? They were just absolute enemies. And this is how this story goes. This would have been shocking as Jesus was telling the story that a Samaritan would be a hero and not the religious leaders. So Jesus continued the story. um, And he said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, about two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Then Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him to go and to do the same. So, so mercy is, is defined in that story, that mercy is, is something that's extended to somebody who's in need. It comes at expense to ourselves. 
And it's issued to somebody regardless of who they are, even if they're an enemy, even if they don't believe what we believe, um, even if we have no associate with them, association with them. The fact that they're in need draws us to them, even at cost to ourselves. And guys, we've got to be honest, that is not our natural default. Like that is not what our hearts just leap to do. I can't wait to sacrificially help somebody that I don't like. Like I just can't wait to do that, right? There's nobody here that that just springs from your heart. And so we are in big trouble this morning. If it's blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. If we're all completely honest, I don't think we just qualify for that. I think that means that we could be set up for a life of not receiving mercy. If you're honest, that's what's going on here, okay? And so if that's the definition, if that's what mercy looks like, that's not something we're going to naturally crank out. So how do merciful people become merciful? It's, it's so clear in the Bible that you do not earn stuff from God. It's not like, okay, so everybody go home and just, uh, just kind of crank out your mercy. Like just try to, I know you don't got any, but just try to build some up in you and just, just grunt it out. Like that's, that's not the message of the Bible. Um, I think actually Jesus has laid the pathway for us in how you become a merciful person in the order of the Beatitudes already, okay? So there's eight of them. It wasn't like Jesus just kind of rolled the dice and said, oh, let's just slam them out there in any order. I think the order is significant, that it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. When we looked at that, we said that that just means blessed are those who recognize they're just spiritually bankrupt. Like you have nothing to offer a holy God. It's not like you can impress him with how good you are. You're blessed when you realize how impoverished you are before God. Like you are broken, you are a sin, sinner, you, you fall short of God, like that's step one, right? And then the next one was mourning, that you mourn over that. It's not like you go, oh well, at least I'm not as bad as Doug Schillinger, you know, you could say that. But no, you mourn over it because you see that your sin offends a holy God, you see that you're separated from God, so there's mourning. Then there's a response of meekness, blessed are the meek that you're, not, you're, you're laying down uh, the reins of your life. You're saying, God, you lead me. God, here's my life. It's broken. I grieve over that. God, you lead. You're in charge. So there's a meekness. And then there's a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. God, I want you to change me. I want to be right. Like, God, I don't want to just pretend that I'm merciful. I don't want to just like maybe do some photo op, mercy things that I'm going to post online and make me look good. God, I want from my heart in and out to be a merciful person. God, I thirst for that. It's when you are in that posture that you become merciful because God responds to those four heart attitudes, all right? So uh, the man or woman who cries out for mercy from God finds out an amazing thing about God. You discover an amazing thing about God is that God is a merciful God. So you do those four, first four Beatitudes, your heart is crying out, you just come open before God, God, I need you. What you're gonna find is that God is a merciful God. There's um, a statement that's used to define God in the Old Testament, it happens seven times. It's the most frequently repeated, like what's God like? This statement appears seven times. The first time it appeared, was in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses was called to lead God's people into the promised land. And it's an amazing conversation. It's a great leadership 
passage to study because Moses says, God, I'm not going to lead these people unless you're going with me. I'm not going alone. How wise is that? Like, that's the way we should start every week. God, I'm not going into this week without you. I need you with me. And so in that dialogue, God says, I will show you. I will show you who I am. So he tucks Moses in a, in a cleft of a rock. And then it says that the glory of God passed by Moses and that God proclaimed his name. So God, God wanted Moses to know this is who I am. And just think about God, all the places he could have started defining himself. I'm the judge. I'm strong. I'm holy. I'm almighty. Listen, listen to how God starts his self-expression of who he is. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That is the most repeated statement of who God is. And it's not just those seven statements, but throughout the Bible, we are told God is merciful. Lamentations 3.22, his mercies are new every morning. Psalm 23.6, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. You jump into the New Testament, Ephesians 2 talks about how every one of us has sinned against God, that we are objects of God's wrath, that we are lost. And you look at Ephesians 2.4, and it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And you look at Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Guys, merciful people start by realizing how desperately needy they are for mercy. And they go to God, and the most pleasant surprise you'll have in your life is that God is a merciful God, that God responds. He responds to mercy. You know, one of, when my kids were younger, we used to act out different Bible stories. And one I remember acting out was about the blind man in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. His name was Bartimaeus. And so it was a situation where this blind man is sitting on the edge of the road. And in Jesus' day, if you were blind, there was no social security, there was no safety net. You were incredibly poor and you were outcast. You were the lowest, you know, one of the lowest in the social uh, totem pole. And so here's this blind man and he hears that Jesus is coming. So he starts crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And meanwhile, Jesus, you can picture him like he's, he's got this entourage around him. He's got all these people like talking to him, looking for his attention, you know, trying to flag him down. Just the clamor that's around him, because that's how the blind man knew, oh, who's coming? What's this, what's this noise? What's this commotion coming? And they said, it's Jesus. And so he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him told him, shut up. He doesn't care about blind people. Shut up. And it says the more they told him to shut up, the louder he yelled. You could not shut him up. And what made Jesus stop, what turned Jesus' head, wasn't all the clamor and wasn't all the people trying to vie for his attention or impress him. But what turned Jesus' head, what made Jesus stop, was that cry from the side of a road from a man who couldn't see, the man who owned probably everything he owned, he was sitting on and around, just crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus was a picture of the heart of God, that this morning the voice he's going to hear crying out to him is that voice that says, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, the sinner. That is how, that is how you become merciful. Don't try to crank it out on your own, but it's just a squaring up, an acknowledgement of who you are before a holy God.
that, you, that you're mourning over your sin. You understand your spiritual bankruptcy. You understand that you need God's mercy. And that's the essence of the gospel, that at great cost to himself, Jesus moved towards those who weren't close to him. Like we were his enemies. We were going the opposite direction. And he moved toward us at great sacrifice to himself. And he stepped in and he met our need for a savior. That's the essence of, it's the essence of the gospel. And so people who receive that, then people who receive God's mercy, then are the people who reflect God's mercy, okay? So, so a way to tell, have I truly tasted the gospel? Am I truly walking in the life that God is offering me? Is to look at your life honestly and say, am I reflecting that kind of mercy? I'm not generating on my own. I'm just reflecting what God has done in my life. And so the next couple minutes, um, you may experience toes being stepped on, okay? And um, just know this, my toes have been stepped on first, okay, this week. In fact, last night, I was talking to Lori about this sermon. I said, Lori, I don't know why, but I'm just, my heart's not getting into this. And she, like a good wife will do, and Lori especially, uh, well, Doug, it's because we're not very merciful people. It's like, okay, there we go. And that's probably the case. And so there are ways um, that, and she was in the last hour, she texted me and said, Yep, amazing job. You convicted me. And so we both are there. So we're at the front of this line of toes getting smashed. But, but let me just ask, like, are, we, are we people who are reflecting this kind of mercy that God is showing to us? So let me just ask you, like in the area of forgiveness, in the area of forgiveness, um, there was a, a man in the New Testament named Stephen who was, all he was doing was telling people about Jesus. And there were so many people that hated that, that he did that, is that they picked up rocks and they literally killed him by just pounding him with rocks. And as he was dying, he cried out to God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. There's a man that has tasted mercy. Mine would be God throw rocks down on them. But he, you know, there's, there's, there's mercy. And so, like, how, how are we doing in extending forgiveness in our lives? Who, who are the people that we are hanging on to grudges? Who are the people that we are critical of? Who are the people that we like to gossip about, or we love hearing negative things about them. And so a person who has received mercy um, does not gloat in the sin of others. In fact, a person who's received mercy is way more concerned about their sin than they are about the sins of others. You know, the expression goes, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. I think a better tweak to that is love the sinner and hate my sin. Like, in fact, I have a hard time seeing your sin because I'm, I'm so aware of the ways that I offend God. I'm so aware of the ways that I fall short, that a person who has received mercy uh, is, is incredibly merciful in the way that they respond to the sins of others because they're so aware of how much God has forgiven them. It's a great passage that summarizes this, 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. It says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, the root there is merciful, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Like, it's a whole different concept to look at someone as a hostage, that this person is struggling with this sin, it's annoying me, it's hurting me, 
but instead of seeing them as the enemy, could we see that, well, well, maybe that person is being held as a hostage, that Satan is the true enemy, that my prayers now need to be, that my gentle approach to this person needs to be the rescue of a hostage, not the destruction of a terrorist, right? And so, and so looking at people totally differently, looking at their sins totally differently is an evidence that you have received mercy. So you're forgiving, you don't gossip, you don't gloat, you don't focus on the sin in others, but you're much more responsive. That, that when you hear of a sin in another person's life, there's a part of you that commiserates with that. You see that. You, you see maybe not the exact sin or the exact behavior, but you see the patterns, you see the trends that are also involved in your own life. And again, you're more aware of your sin than theirs. So forgiveness is one way. Another way is, is compassion. Do you see genuine compassion flowing from your life? As you study the early church, this is, this, this is one of the coolest stories for me, is how did the gospel spread so quickly? And it, in, in a lot of cases, it wasn't because of the doctrine that the early Christians believed. In fact, they probably had a hard time selling some of their beliefs to their neighbors. You know, things like, oh, so your savior, you say he's God, but he died. Yeah, yeah, he did, but he rose again from the dead, and then he went to heaven, so where is he? Like, so, I mean, just some of the basic messages of the gospel were, were a hard sell, especially in the climate that Christianity exploded in and really grew rapidly in. But what it was that really drew people uh, to Jesus was seeing the mercy, seeing the compassion of the early followers. You can even study Greek historians uh, and, and different writers from that area just commenting on how people who followed Christ lived. There are stories of, during times of plague, that while people would just literally run away from people who were sick and leave their family members and friends there to die, that it was actually Christians moving the other direction to step in and serve and to provide comfort. Uh, there was a Roman soldier in uh, Constantine's army named Pacomius who at one time with his soldiers there in a place with Christians to persecute them saw Christians move toward them with food for his soldiers who were hungry and many were sick. And he was so intrigued. Like, who are these people that are moving toward us to serve us when we are here to inflict pain on them? Who are these people? And when he began to study the beliefs of these people, that was the beginning of Pacomius' journey to become a follower of Jesus Christ. So it was people reflecting the mercy of God that drew people to, to Christ. And basically what people were doing is just following the example of Jesus, who left heaven, who at great cost to himself, lived a life of poverty, was ostracized, was abused, was hung on a cross, and he did all of that moving toward us in our great need for a savior. And so over time, you've just seen Christian organization after organization just move in. You've got the Red Cross, World Vision, Salvation Army, Samaritan's Purse, Prison Fellowship. I mean, you name it. There are so many movements in the name of Christ that have stepped in sacrificially and at great cost to, expand, to extend God's mercy to people who are in pain. There was an interesting interview on NPR this week. There's a guy named Richard Dawkins. It's a, it's a, you know, one, he's one of the spokesmen of, of the atheist movement. And he was decrying the terrorist attack in Manchester at the Ariana concert. And in a broad sweep, he was blaming religion for all these atrocities that are happening in the world. And so the NPR interviewer, his name is Scott Simon, 
And let me just read you the transcript of this dialogue. So instead of just letting that statement hang there, that religion is causing all these bad things in the world, listen to what Scott Simon said. He said, I do wonder, am I just not seeing the world correctly? To see large numbers of well-motivated atheists lending their lives trying to better the world? Or, if I might put it this way, are they more concerned about just being right intellectually? So he's kind of taking a dig at, at atheists in front of this atheist spokesman. He said, I don't see big groups of atheists moving in with compassion ministries here. So, but he does say this. He says, I'm struck by how many religious people I've seen around the world who are trying to do something to relieve suffering. He says, I respect atheism, but it seems to me that truly every theater of suffering I've ever been to, that there's a dauntless nun, priest, clergy, or religious person who was working very selflessly and bravely there for the good of human beings. And I don't run into organized group of atheists who do this. So it's interesting that even in our secular media today that there's just acknowledgement that where are the places that are broken and hurting and who is running to those places? It's those, I would say, who are reflecting the mercy of God, who are reflecting the life of what Jesus has done for us. And so as your pastor, it's, it's a beautiful thing for me. I feel like so many times I have a 50-yard line seat to just watch you guys reflect God's mercy uh, to each other. Um, like I mentioned earlier, um, Tom Sundblad has passed away. And just to see how this church has come around that family in his three years of battling illness, the way you guys have just cared for and loved uh, Tom and his family has been amazing. And that's not like the first time you've done that. Like there's just, it seems like in situation after situation, God is rallying his people to care for people in need. Uh, this morning, there's a man from one of the Fight Club Bible study groups we lead that is in Vietnam. He has four children. He's already adopted two from Korea, and he and his wife are there to adopt two more uh, Vietnamese high school students like who need a home. And so that's an amazing reflection of mercy. I see so many families here that are adopting, that have foster kids, that have, you're just extending God's mercy to people who need a home. It's a beautiful picture. And then those of you who come around and support those who are doing that, that's, that's a powerful, powerful picture. And so just love seeing even just how God has propelled from this church, people all around the world living in difficult places, uh, extending the gospel uh, to people who don't know him. All of this is a reflection of Jesus' mercy in, in our lives. And so as we come up upon another budget year, um, this church has been very generous over the years. Roughly 40% of our budget goes out of these walls to, to ministries like Faith Academy and The Spot and 24-7 and, and then globally to different places. I just am so thankful for how you guys reflect the mercy of Jesus in your life. And so uh, let me just ask a hard question before we wrap up. You gotta ask this question. If mercy is missing in our lives, why is that? Why, why if, you know, if we talk about forgiveness, if we talk about compassion, if there's no, no visible reflection of mercy from my life, you gotta ask why. And this is a tough question. If you look at Jesus and the contrast he made, like in the story of the Good Samaritan, who was it that, that did not show compassion and mercy? It was the religious people. If you look at the story he told in Luke 18 of a poor tax collector 
and of a Pharisee. It was the Pharisee. It seems throughout the Gospels, it's those that are religious that have the hardest time expressing mercy. And so as we hear that, we need to, we need to perk up because it's very possible to be a regular church attender and to be religious. And the problem with religion is that we think that by doing certain things, we have earned God's favor, that God looks down on us and he smiles because I do this, this, and this. And so what that means is we didn't need his mercy. Like we, we qualified. Look what I did. Look how, look how good I am. And so the dangerous side of that is that you'll look at those who didn't do what you did and you go, well, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve my sacrifice. They don't deserve my time. I'm too busy. And so it's dangerous that if we become religious, meaning I'm trying to earn God's approval, I'm trying to earn God's favor, then we will not see mercy we, because we don't know that we need it. If we don't know that we need God's mercy, we are not going to share God's mercy with our lives. So we've got to watch that. Could it be the one reason I'm so critical of people in my life is because I think I've arrived and they haven't. So that gives me the privilege of just kind of gossiping about them or talking down about them. Or if I see somebody in need and my immediate thought is, well, they don't deserve my help because of this, because of this, they'll waste it. They won't appreciate it. They won't like, listen to that. That is not from the heart of a person that has been broken before God and has received mercy from God. So those are, those are, those are hard places to go. But if you don't see mercy flowing out, you've got to ask, have I truly received the mercy of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The amazing, the amazing invitation, the amazing promise from Jesus summarized, I think, well in Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and so we can find grace to help in time of need. The open invitation this morning from Jesus is to come to him to find mercy. So if you are, in Jesus' day, the tax collector, would be the biggest epic fail. I, I am not a religious person. I have run so far from God. Jesus would say, come and find mercy. And to whoever it is that's been living in religion and trying to impress God, has been critical of others, the, the same invitation is there. Come to God. He is merciful. And God will shower you with mercy. And then you will reflect his mercy to the people around you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Parkview Church. We pray that you are blessed by God's Word. For additional teaching, resources, podcasts, as well as information on who we are and our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.parkviewchurch.org.